The Water Cooler is a live storytelling event performed monthly at Bats Theatre in Wellington. This month's theme was When I Was Your Age. A small reminder that the stories were recorded live, so the language and themes may not be for everyone. Hadassah Grace is a writer and performer with a penchant for questionable life choices. During the day, she writes poetry and drinks too much coffee. At night, she takes her clothes off to pay the bills. Her writing explores sex, politics and sexual politics. She's a high school dropout, but she's never burned a single kernel of popcorn. This is Hadassah's story. Can I please get you all to put your hands together for Hadassah Grace? Um, almost two years ago, I made, when I was 27, I made the questionable and age-inappropriate decision to quit my stable salary job with a nice office and a company car to become a stripper. When you start stripping, your stories become different. Remember that campaign that was everywhere about 10 years ago for the New Zealand police saying, get better work stories? <laughs> People ask what I did on the weekend, and the answer is usually, mm, just boring work stuff. I played a game of Naked Twister with three other strippers and two guys who had paid four grand to pour champagne all over us and walk, watch us lick it off each other. <laughs> Nothing special. <laughs> My favorite strip club story actually starts outside of the club. I was having sex. Uh, I was in the middle of a 69, just starting to really get into it. And the guy pauses, mid-lick, leans past my ass, and says, you have a really pretty asshole. <laughs> I was kind of preoccupied at the time, but after everything had finished and he fell asleep, I got almost existential trying to figure out that compliment. <laughs> what does it mean to have a pretty asshole? What makes an asshole pretty? If we apply the word pretty to assholes, doesn't it kind of lose some of its meaning? Because now if that guy tells me I look pretty today, he might mean my face looks like a butthole. <laughs> so, so the next night at work, I brought it up with a few of the girls in the changing room, and it prompted quite a lengthy discussion around the various methods for making your asshole prettier. Eventually, curiosity got the better of us, and we all had to know which one of us had the prettiest. So... When my manager came into the dressing room to see what we were all doing that wasn't talking to customers, he saw about five strippers, completely naked, bent over spreading their cheeks in front of the mirror, just... What do you think? Is mine pretty? <laughs> There's a special bond you form with someone when you've really looked at their asshole <laughs> in a completely non-sexual way. <laughs> I was worried that story was too extreme for people who have never eaten dinner in the same room as one girl shaving her pussy and another girl changing her tampon, but you know what? Everyone in this room has an asshole. <laughs> it's just that nobody talks about them. My other favorite stripping story happened at Sevens a year ago, and the Sevens are weird in a strip club. You make a lot of money, but for example, last year I gave a lap dance to a crayon, a bearded girl guide, and two superheroes, uh, The Flash and Batman. <laughs> but a particular group of about four guys came in at about one in the morning, all dressed in blackface. And this wasn't the kind of blackface you could make a polite excuse for. Not that there are any excuses, but they weren't, for example, all dressed as a poorly lit black and white photograph. <laughs> <laughs> it 
This was Afro wig, leopard print. One guy had a fucking bone through his nose. It was bad, and the black paint was everywhere. They had completely covered themselves. Now, if you go into a strip club covered in paint, no stripper is gonna go anywhere near you because we don't wanna have to shower off your crusty body paint in order to keep working. But for about two hours, these guys were doing everything they could to get our attention, waving stacks of money around, asking to buy us drinks, trying to call us over, and no one would even talk to them. Finally, I was at the bar getting some water when one of them came up to me and asked me what the deal was and why none of the girls would sit with them. He said they were really frustrated because he and his friends had come from out of town to have a good night. And I said, it's because your costumes are racist. <laughs> None of us want money from a racist. <laughs> he threw a tantrum and said none of us were that hot anyway, and they left. But I really, I really like thinking that there are at least four guys out there who think Wellington strippers are the most liberal and politically correct people on the planet. <laughs> Unfortunately, not all my strip stories are fun. For example, the story of Richard. Richard was rich in a way that was often hard for me to understand. I asked him what he did for a living once, and he said he didn't really work anymore, except as a financial consultant sometimes, for the fun of it. <laughs> Apparently that's how money works. Once you get enough of it, you make more just from having a lot of it in the first place. I was still pretty new to stripping. I'd only been doing it about six months. I had seen Richard in the club, and I knew he sometimes spent a lot, but never on me. One night he came in, and none of the girls he usually spent time with were working, so I went over to say hi. The first thing he did was buy a $400 bottle of champagne, and after we had finished it, he booked me for five hours to go out drinking on town, in the town with him. We went to a different strip club where he got out a ton of money, and we made it rain on all our favorite girls. Richard was 68, divorced with four children that he told me he was almost never allowed to see. He seemed incredibly lonely. He would come into the club and book me for anywhere from five to sometimes 10 or 12 hours at a time. He didn't like the lap dance room, so we would go out to dinner, to the movies, to see live music. Sometimes we went out dancing or to see a rugby game, but mostly we would just drink. For a few beautiful months, we fell in what I would call strip club love. I loved the fact that I was making, on average, about three grand a week from him, and he loved the fact that I would mostly just giggle and smile and occasionally ask open-ended questions so he could talk about himself for another 20 minutes while I pretended to be fascinated. <laughs> I think the appeal of strip clubs for a lot of people is that you can pay someone to embody all your fantasies about the perfect woman, and a surprising number of men think the perfect woman only says about 10 words an hour. <laughs> when I look back on the way that things turned out, I see a million red flags. Richard was demanding and manipulative. He had incredibly strict standards for the way he wanted me to dress and do my hair and makeup when we were together. I have a burner phone that I use to text my regular customers so I can let them know when I'm working. Pretty much as soon as he started booking me regularly, Richard would text me first thing in the morning asking what I was up to during the day. And if I didn't text him back within a few hours, he would get upset and spend less money on me that week. Considering how much he was spending, a text message in the morning didn't seem unreasonable, but soon it turns in, turned into a text to say goodnight as well, and then a phone call in the afternoon just to say hello, and then he started wanting to have coffee outside of work for free a couple of times a week. I had a whole fake life made up so that I could pretend to be too busy to see him outside of work. I was a nursing student, and my brother had cancer, and needed me to help with his infant son while he went through chemo. <laughs> Gracie the stripper was really a saint. <laughs> Things started to go downhill when he found my Facebook profile. I don't know how he found my real name, but social media makes it easy to find pretty much anything about anyone if you're determined. 
I had him blocked, and I thought I had most of my personal, personal information set to private, but he convinced a mutual friend to let him use her profile to look at mine. He spent hours looking back through all my photos and posts. He started contacting venues and event managers I had performed with, asking them when I was next performing and if they had any contact information for me. At this point, he was texting and emailing me about 30 or 40 times a day, talking about lawsuits and how the money he had spent on me was under false pretenses, which is hilarious when you think about where he was spending that money. <laughs> In case anyone else here is confused, that stripper's name wasn't really Cinnamon. <laughs> Her eight-inch plastic heels and PVC hot pants aren't really the most comfortable clothes she owns. And she wouldn't actually love to make out with you if only the cameras weren't watching. <laughs> Flashback a couple of months, Richard and I went to a members-only club, and in order to sign in as a non-member, I had to write down my address and phone number. I'm not a complete fool, so I wrote down a fake address, but I didn't even think he was watching. Flash forward a couple of months, I get an email from him with several pictures of the address I had written down and the message saying, I've been watching this house for days now, and I know for sure you don't live here. That's when I went to the police. And that's when I found out Richard's ex-wife and all four of his children have restraining orders against him. He was arrested three times last year for violating them. Thankfully, he backed off once the police spoke to him, and I haven't heard from him in more than a year. The weirdest part of the story was talking to the other girls in the dressing room about it. So many of them had, this, had similar stories. And I got this really weird feeling of deja vu because we were basically all standing around comparing assholes. <laughs> I thought about quitting the industry, but then I looked it up and one in six women are stalked. Did you know that? One in six. That's just the legal definition of stalking, not that one-night stand that won't stop poking you on Facebook or the ex who sent you so many angry text messages you had to change your phone number twice. When it comes down to it, every person in this room has an asshole. We just don't talk about them. Thank you. If you've got a great story to tell or would like to hear previous episodes, you can visit us at thewatercooler.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. The episode is produced by Alice Bryan, that's me, and also hosted by stand-up comedian Alice Bryan, who is also me. So make sure you get to the live show and come and see the magic happen. Also, I'll take this moment to pitch my show that I'm doing in this year's Comedy Festival as a 2016 Billy T nominee. My one-hour-long solo show is called Brainstorm, and it happens in both Auckland and Wellington, running over five nights in each city, mid-April to mid-May. Find out more info on facebook.com forward slash Comedian. This show would not be possible without our founder and director, Sarah Finnegan-Walsh. Special thanks to Radio New Zealand and The Wireless for their continued support. This podcast was brought to you by New Zealand On Air. Join us next month for more stories from The Water Cooler.